Live from the Mecca Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where we are learning together about how to live in the age of fulfillment. What does that mean? Really quickly, I'm Sean McCraney, your host. It means that uh, the preterist position, which I'm not sure I fully take, but the, the, the position is that the contents of the Old and New Testament have been fulfilled. They're a history of what God did through his son to finish everything necessary so that the world could be reconciled to himself. And if that's the case, then we realize that um, things have changed. We're not waiting for Jesus to come back. We're not trying to be a bride ready for him. We aren't doing church the same way. We're looking at our faith in a very different way with very different applications. So our Christian couple is married. We talked about that and has faced all sorts of things thus far. Marital questions, sexual questions, birth control questions, questions about abortion, adoption, adultery, and divorce last week. And now they have gotten pregnant and their little bundle of joy has come forth into their home. He could have been named Josiah Kim or Ruth. He could be named Bob or Bonnie or Tyrannosaurus Rex, as far as I'm concerned. Parents, with any sort of reason and rationality, and love, of course, and in the absence of mental illness or drug addiction, parents adore and care about their children, their newborns, their babies, whether they're Christian or not. People love and adore their children. Babies are, of course, a wonderful gift to a healthy couple. And tonight I want to talk about something really important relative to parents and their newborn, who will soon be a toddler and then a child, then a preteen, then a teenager, and then out of the house. And what I want to speak to you all about comes from years of observation, years of parenting three daughters with my wife, and a life time of religious allegiance and, ad and adherences personally during all of this. And, and then also watching other families, very religious families, raise their children. So when it comes to religious beliefs and teachings, parents who take their faith seriously typically are intent on having their children be what they are relative to their religious faith. Listen, they're doing some construction, and we have to do this show amidst the construction. So uh, sorry for this ambient noise and this stomping around that's, that's happening above us. But, uh, but uh, that's, that's what's happening. Okay, so what I was saying is when it comes to religious beliefs, you know, if you're a Muslim, Muslims want their babies to be Muslim. And Buddhists want their babies to be Buddhists, and Hindus want their babies to be Hindus on and on and on. So it's not unique to Christianity. Every parent wants their kid to follow along with the religion they have cho chosen. Sometimes couples without religion at all will get a religion when a baby comes into the house. And sometimes couples who have no religious affiliation, maybe who are atheist or agnostic, will want their children to be atheists and agnostic too. In the Old Testament, which was written to the Jews and from which many Christians will borrow their ideas of, from about raising their children up. When we read, we read a number of things in that Old Testament that Christians today continually embrace and 
and apply to the raising of the children. We know that having children was very important to a woman and even to men in the uh, in the nation of Israel. Even going as far back as Genesis 17, there's instructions in the Old Testament about what to do with a child, a male child when they're born, that they should be circumcised on the eighth day. Specific instructions for parents on what to do with their child relative to the faith. We know uh, from Leviticus 12, uh, 2, that a woman, if she conceives and bears a man-child, she would be unclean for seven days, and that if she bears a woman-child, that she would be unclean for two weeks. Do circumcisions and, and names and the cleanliness uh, of the mother still, depending on the gender of the child, still have application today? I don't think so. I mean, that was the Old Testament to Jews, and that's what kept them together and united. But we don't have women who are deemed unclean for two weeks if they have a female child, or unclean for one week if they have a male. Those things, we can say, have been set aside. No more do we do these things relative to children than we practice the Leverite marriage, that if you have a brother and he dies without giving his wife and his wife having a child, that as a brother, I would marry him. I would marry him. I would marry her and that we would then raise up. We don't do that anymore. So the Old Testament practices, we have to start seeing them for what they really are. Different age, different time, different people. Uh, women breastfed their children in scripture, usually when possible, uh, but it doesn't mean a Christian mother has to do that. I think it's probably healthy and good for a child, but it's not necessary. You know, we're doing the best we can. In 2 Samuel 12, 15, we read about Yahweh, God. He strikes the child that Uriah's wife had with David uh, with an illness, and the child died uh, seven days later. Does this curse still carry on with people who have an illicit affair and a child's produced from that? Is God still striking children dead within seven days from an illness because the uh, husband and wife, because the man and the woman had an illicit affair? That doesn't happen. We have very evil people, have very healthy children, and we have very righteous people lose babies to death all the time. All of this stuff that's been fulfilled and had a purpose has been taken care of. My point is, it's it's kind of foolish when we look to those old ways and say that is the way to raise up a child. Got to get beyond this stuff, folks. We live in an age of fulfillment, and so many of the things that the Jews did relative to children are not only unnecessary, but some of them actually do some pretty heinous damage to kids. And Proverbs 22:15 says foolishness is bound in the heart of a child but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. That's talking about correcting the child sternly, the rod of correction, and it will drive the foolishness out of the child. Proverbs 23:13 says withhold not correction from the child for if thou beatest him with a rod he will not die. Now, this advice for the past 2,000 uh, years in Christianity has at times taken on really ugly um, scenarios. I mean, we have people who have literally beaten the hell out of their children in the name of doing what God wants them to do. And I don't ever think that that is uh, warranted.
I, I really think that is heinous and it's damaging to children, especially in the name of God. So we see none of those ways prescribed in the Old Testament about beating a child with the rod in the New Testament. We don't read any of that anymore, but we see a subtle shift happen between that Old Testament rhetoric and the New Testament. For instance, Paul says, And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's a much more peaceable way that Paul says a child should be raised within the home than the Old Testament. In Colossians 3.21, he says, Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. So, you know, you want to provoke a child to anger? Beat him. (laughs) So here, Paul is bringing in what we call, of course, the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. The fruit of the Spirit is joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. And I see the raising of children in the faith being very different under the guise of the Spirit than the more hands-on approach of don't spare the rod, you'll spoil the child. Even when we remember the Old Testament, uh, that the Old Testament was written to the Jews, we can see that the advice given in Proverbs 22.6 must be taken contextually. It says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. So we read that as Christian parents, and we say, okay, I'm going to train up this child the way that she or he should go, and when they get old, they will not depart from it. And you know what I see? I see parents who, 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 who enforce that thinking, and they believe they're training up that child the way that that child should go, and I see more often than not that child leaving, leaving what uh, they wanted them to be. That's a child who had bad parents up there. Um, This is a truism, that statement. Train up a child the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. It has nothing to do with right and wrong. And let me explain what I mean. If a child is trained up rightly to be an atheist, trained up well by parents to be an atheist, the child, when they get older, will probably be an atheist. So when we see Christian children raised up by strict Christian parents departing from the faith when they get older, we can say that they were not trained up properly in the way they should go. They were trained up improperly in the way they should go. Are we still all right? Okay, I understand the value of the message of training up a child rightly, but the problem is, is when people think that they are raising up a child rightly and and the child ends up departing from the faith later, then they did not train the child up rightly. So, so when we read, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. When they depart from the faith, we know they were not trained up properly the way that they should go. I would mash those two, uh, some scriptures together, reading it today. Train up a child by the fruit of the Spirit. Train up a child by the fruit of the Spirit, and when she is old, she will not depart from it. That is something that we could, we could take and, and, and use. But the old school method that people have long done, I don't think it applies. So why do I take such liberties that anyone can train up a child the way they want them to go? 
You can train up a child to be a communist. If you do it right, they'll be a communist, an atheist, a racist, and they will probably not depart from it. So what is happening within the Christian world where I can tell you on two hands, fill those hands with parents who have tried to raise up their children right, and those children have all gone crazy because those parents have approached baby in the house wrongly, right? Christian parents want their children to grow up to be Christians. That's what Christian parents want. And this requires something much, much better than pure indoctrination of the child. And that's my point. If you're a young parent, if you're, if you have children, if you have kids who have children, share this message with them. It's one of the most important because that training of a child requires the fruit of the spirit in their midst with every step of the training that they have. I've long lived, uh, I've lived long enough to see the fallout from parents choosing to take the Old Testament approach. It, it, raising up a child, you know, with the rod and training and scripture reading and memorization and Christian preschools and, and grade schools and junior and senior high. And the fallout is usually bad in many cases unless something is happening right in the home. And this tells me that training, the training employed when the child was young was errant, like I've said. And therefore, the child, when he is old, never departs from the errors that were imposed upon him. And as a result, I think we have to rethink what it really means to train up a child the way they should go. And when they are old, they will not depart from it. And there are a lot of factors parents must consider that were not, not, not part of the conversation when the nation of Israel was nomadically roaming around the desert and becoming a people. With, wow, that was big. With a heavy heart and tremendous sorrow for dozens and dozens of well-meaning parents, I have seen on both sides, the LDS side, the Christian side, their attempts to raise up their children with strong-arm religious tactics and religious demands has not been an indictment on the children in terms of rebellion, but uh, it's, it was on their choice to not spare the rod and to inflict their children's minds with demands from a very early age that are supposed to help them really grow in the faith, but really what it does is it crushes the faith within them. Even if it weren't for the age of fulfillment when it comes to this topic, I strongly suggest to Christian parents a very different approach to teaching their children about Jesus and his grace. But because we're in the age of grace where the world has been reconciled to God and where religious affiliation is not that pressing, and where God writes his laws on the hearts and minds of those who are his, I ardently suggest this different approach to those than what the Old Testament suggests. What does it look like? The approach looks exactly like how God treats and has treated you, the parent. This is what the approach in the home looks like when you're raising a child or children. It looks like the living embodiment of the fruit of the Spirit 
which is surrounding that baby, that toddler, that child, that preteen in love and joy and peace and long-suffering and patience and kindness, truth, mercy, forgiveness. That's what it looks like because that's what our father, that's how he has raised us. Our father has shown that toward us. We show that toward our children. I speak to this from firsthand experience. And when I was most controlling, religiously, most demanding, most dogmatic, with my eldest daughter, especially Mallory, we saw the greatest amount of struggle for her in life. And I feel such remorse for this that I didn't spare the rod and I ruled over her uh, with far more discipline than the other two daughters ever, uh, ever received. And I learned firsthand the errors of my ways in and through her. And so with the help of the Lord and Mary, we're able to change that course toward her and replace demands and dogma and discipline with agape love. And which in the end, it was that that helped bring her around to the living God, all praise and glory to the Father. If I were raising a child today, and then we're going to wrap it up with this, knowing what I know now and knowing what I have seen all around the Christian world, I would leave the starting gates at the place where we ended with our last two daughters. I would start where I ended with those last two daughters, but even more so. Our children are not Christians when they're born. And that's really important to understand. They are in need of spiritual rebirth, just like you and I have been in need of spiritual rebirth. So I would never teach them, this is going to really bother some of you, I would never teach a child directly about Jesus in their youngest years. Not in their early years and not unless asked. Don't get me wrong. They would see me pray. They would see me in the word. They would see me hopefully uh, abiding in his love. They would see me treating people the way Jesus treated and taught. But I would do all I could to get them curious about what guides me as a man, a parent, a husband, and a father. I would refrain from teaching them all the stories uh, about Jesus. And why? so why am I spending time with them? Why am I attending all their recitals and their practices and their games and matches? Because I love them. And that would be the answer. I love them. And they would see and feel that love. In the meanwhile, let's stay with me, I would teach them biblical stories I would teach them biblical stories with modern uh, appliances. I would teach them about forgiving, but I would teach them a story that comes from their own life. I would teach them about turning the other cheek, but it would come from a story from the playground. I would teach them all the biblical stories, but I would not take them from the Bible. Okay, Junior, we're going to read Luke 7 now. What does it say? No, I would teach them what the principle was that Jesus taught, but I wouldn't tell them that it was coming from Jesus. And I would plant these stories of forgiveness in their minds and of love and patience and long suffering. I would teach them stories about personal sacrifice for those who didn't deserve it. 
kind of molding the Jesus story and what he did for the world in the characters of different people. And I would do this at twilight time, something I call twilight time. And that's when the kid is starting to get ready for bed and they're getting drowsy and you lay down there and you tell them stories and they're drifting off to sleep and these stories are going into their heads and they're hearing them and they want to hear them. You make them entertaining and you, you engage them. And I would tell them fictional tales of a town that was invaded by marauders and that a king, a great king had a son and the son went out and he saved the town by giving his own life. All of that stuff I would, I would share with them in these great tales when they're in their first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh years of life to get them in twilight time. And when they were old enough and interested, I would introduce them to the ideas of a loving God. And I would begin to expose them to every kind of religions that were out there. I would take them to Muslim churches. I would take them to Hindu. I would take them to bad Christian churches and good ones. I would expose them to atheism. I would expose them to Catholicism, all the rites, every ritual over the course of each week. When they Once they started to turn like six or seven or eight, we'd visit a new church on the weekend. And then we would talk about what we saw and experienced in that church. And then every night at the dinner table, after you go and visit that church, the dinner table, vital place for a family, uh, every night at bedtime, casually review what we saw, what we liked, what they didn't like. Let them speak freely. I would openly let the rebellious ones speak rebelliously. I would let the pious ones speak piously. I would encourage their minds to wander and test all things and to hold fast to what is good, what is loving, what is forgiving, what is kind, what is generous, what is not of this world, but honoring the gifts. I would go on and teach them all of those things, but I would pick a few, just a few hills to die on and never give an inch of ground on those hills, no matter what the children uh, want or protest. Oh, the children, we would talk about everything openly without condemnation. We would watch great films together and read good books, and we would passively watch the world around us and discuss it as we went. And I would help them pursue their interests in life, whatever those might be, the whole time with God's help, being Jesus with them as he is Jesus with us. And then as they got older, I would ask them about their friends and what their friends were all about. And I would never speak evil of their friends, but I would let them know that their friends were welcome in the home and that they were invited to the house. And I would know their friends by name and I would pick them up and give them rides with them when they needed it. And I would not forbid them from having friends who were a bad influence, but would openly talk to them about those influences and talk to them about their friends. And I would encourage them to play and I would encourage them to have fun. And I would discourage them from fretting too awfully much about school and all the demands of academia. And I would teach them that that learning, learning is far, far, far more important than grades. And then after approaching them this way all through their childhood, when they started asking me real questions about my faith, they wanted to know they've seen Jesus, the best that you can do in your home with them. And they start to ask you about your faith. I would introduce them to Jesus Christ. And I would say, we've been to some churches that talked about it. Remember? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
That is my Lord and Savior. That is my King. I would teach them about the living God, Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh, and would, within reason and attention span, tell them all about him and introduce his death and resurrection. But I would not admit to them that I believe on him or place my faith in him yet. I would just tell them the story and facts about him in their life. And when the time comes, because we have talked so much together about everything, whether it's when they're six years old or 19 years old, when they ultimately ask me, do you believe in Jesus? I would open my heart with a heartfelt passion that I could muster. And I would say, oh, absolutely. Yes, completely. He is what guides me to be the man that I am. Oh, absolutely. His love, who he is, his unconditional uh, life, that is who I believe in. And at that moment, my child would make a connection to me and my life as a man and as a husband and as a father and Jesus. That would be the moment when they would see who Jesus is relative to my life around them. And I would let them know that everyone has to choose to receive Jesus or not, or to reject him. That some don't, some won't. But the invitation is always there. And I would wait until they wanted to receive him, whenever, wherever that might happen. And I would continue to pray for them daily and recognize the need for him and that God would open their heart for recognition and that their hearts would be changed by him. And I would do all of this because I have seen the way to effectively reach children with Jesus. And it's not through religion. It's not through what we have done in the past. And when religion is successful, all we've done is just indoctrinated children to believe like we did. And they often never make this choice themselves. In the coming months, we're going to revisit our fictional couple and the child or children they have. We're going to talk about growing up and the, making the mistakes that they make. And we'll talk about how Christians ought to approach those mistakes in this day and age. But for now, I just wanted to let you know how I would approach raising a child in this age of fulfillment if I was given that chance all over again. Write your comments below. We want to hear them and join us tomorrow night as we cover this show that you just watched. We cover last week's Tuesday show on divorce. We covered the uh, night before show on adultery. And we cover one of the shows that was an open line call with all your emails, comments, and questions here on Heart of the Matter.